turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter, 1 Corinthians, as we continue our study through the Word. So as Paul was working through the various different issues with regards to the church there in Corinth as he was writing to them, you will remember last time in, in chapter 8 where Paul came to the issue of whether or not you could eat meat that had been sacrificed to, to an idol. And you'll remember that Paul dealt with that issue. They were asking for that confirmation since they have knowledge, they said. They know that, uh, that demons aren't uh, anything, that there's no other gods except the true and the living God. And, and that they were not bound by superstitions. And so they were knowledgeable. They knew that they could eat meat and that the meat itself had no bearing on their relationship with God. And so the, the issue was, Paul, can you let the church know that, you know, that there's no problem with this whatsoever? And, you know, and Paul began basically by affirming, you know what, your knowledge is good, your theology is incorrect. The, the, the meat that is offered to idols, idols are nothing, and, and there is no God that is behind those. And, and But he says that that's only the first test of, uh, of where my liberty, where my, my Christian liberty really is at. He says that, that while the, 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 the instruction, the truth is important, the second layer, the second test that you have to lay over that is the question of love. Love builds a, a person up. And so we see that he said that knowledge puffs us up, but edification we see that comes from love the building up and and so the issue was this does the liberty that I have in Christ does that harm another person and that was really the the issue we see that it's the same issue that we have today the the religious liberty issue the you know the question of uh, uh, you know of whether or not you know you can listen to this music or whether you can watch this movie or all of the various different aspects of uh, of sensitivity and and so and he said that it really comes down to your conscience uh, and also it comes down to love so God gave us a conscience and that conscience is going to lead each and every one of us into what is right and what is wrong. We talked about last time how in the book of Romans it talks about the, the least amount of light or truth that God has revealed to every single person on the face of the earth is nature. Nature declares the glory of God and then your conscience. Your conscience is going to, is God's internal right and wrong mechanism that he has placed inside of every single person. So when my conscience is free, when I can do something and, and have no, no ill conscience, and that was the issue, the spiritually mature believers were eating this meat and they had no problem whatsoever. But the issue was that there were the younger brothers and sisters in the faith 
that weren't so spiritually strong. And so they were struggling with the superstitions. They were struggling with the fact that they had come out of this background. And so for them, it became a stumbling point. And, and so Paul said basically that your religious freedom really ends uh, with the harming of someone else. And so love sets the limits uh, of Christian liberty. As we move into this ninth chapter that we have before us here, we see that Paul is going to begin really by kind of dealing back with that issue, you know, of establishing his apostolic authority. Now, those Judaizers and false teachers that had arisen there in Corinth were, you know, telling people you don't need to listen to Paul. Paul's not really an apostle. And, uh, and so they were constantly challenging, you know, Paul's authority. And so, you know, here we see that Paul is going to, you know, is going to bring about a, a, a pattern. He's going to show, you know, once again, establish his, his apostolic authority, but also he is going to exhort himself as an example. Follow me as I follow Christ and we see that Paul was the ultimate servant you remember how Jesus you know said that he didn't come to be served but to serve and so Paul also an incredible servant and that example of servanthood that he set for all of those who were around him and and set even for us today and and then with that servanthood Paul is going to point to everybody to the finish line, that life is short, that tomorrow is promised to, to no one, and that one day every single one of us is going to finish our race here upon this earth. And so, you know, Paul's exhortation is to keep your eye on the finish line. Keep your eye on the finish line and finish well. And so um, let's talk about what does that mean to uh, finish well. He begins here in this ninth chapter with the first verse that really begins by asking four questions. They're not questions he's asking, you know, that he's wanting an answer. They're rhetorical questions. But uh, he begins, am I not an apostle? It's like, can we just get this issue dealt with here so that we can move on? He says, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ uh, our Lord? And are you not my work uh, in the Lord? He says, if I am not an apostle to others, he says, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So uh, here we see that, you know, Paul, in dealing with this issue of apostles, you know, the the church at Corinth is the church that he founded. It's the church that he planted. And so, you know, Paul is saying, you know, that theoretically, if you want to debate whether or not an apostle, you know, an apostle had to have seen the risen Lord and, you know, and the certain credentials, he says, you know, regardless of whether or not, you know, I am a, an apostle or an apostle that was born out of due time, you know, the issue with Paul, of course, you know, was that there were 12 apostles and then Judas, you remember, he, hung himself and so you'll remember that the other apostles knew scripturally that there there were supposed to be 12 and that in fulfillment of uh, of the old testament prophecies and so they knew that they needed to replace in judas and so you remember that they had the lots and the lots fell and so they replaced uh, him but 
it wasn't with Paul. That was just kind of their own selection. We see that Paul was the 12th. Paul was the apostle, but he was born out of due time. He was selected uh, later on and by the Lord, arrested on the road to Damascus and became the apostle to the Gentiles. And, uh, and so Paul knows who he is and, and what he is about. And he, and he says, you know, whether or not I'm an apostle to, to anybody else, he says, in the church that I planted, I'm an apostle to you. He says, you know, you, if anybody, you know, if I needed to bring testimony, you know, or witness to the fact that I am an apostle, I would bring the church at Corinth. You are my seal. Now, you remember that, uh, that seals were important uh, back in those days. It was the way that you identified when you were shipping. They didn't have, you know, FedEx back then. And so, you know, what they would do is if you were going to ship your crates across, you know, the sea, you would go down to the seaport, you'd crate them up, and then you would take your seal, and your seal was your emblem, and they would put wax on the crate, and then you would stamp your seal uh, onto the hot wax, and that would make that impression, and then it would, it would dry. And when those crates were delivered to the port where they were going, you would go and then pick them up by showing them the seal, the matching seal, and that identified that, uh, that those are you. And what Paul is saying is, is that in my apostleship, you are my seal seal you're you are the ones that have been stamped by the ministry of my apostleship and so uh, we see that that seal kind of was the guarantee of genuineness he says my, my defense to those who examine me is this do we have no right to eat and drink do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and, and Cephas. And, and so, you know, Paul here is kind of using a, a courtroom, you know, verbiage, you know, when he says my, my defense to those who examine me is as if, you know, Paul is in court and now he's, you know, dealing with charges and, and he is now giving his his defense kind of to be cross-examined and uh, and so we see here was you know paul says do do we not have the right to eat and drink in other words does the ministry with which he is engaged in should it be able to supply a living for him should Paul be able to, you know, uh, be able to feed himself uh, and clothe himself with the, the work that he is putting into to the ministry there in Corinth? The second question was this, you know, not only for me, but also for my family uh, as well. Do, do I have a right to take along a believing uh, wife, he says, as the other apostles uh, do? And, uh, and so uh, here we see that, you know, he is laying this fact, this question forwards, but uh, the other apostles did receive support. Paul didn't receive support, but he's saying, you know, do I have the right to it? He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from, uh, from working? You know, Paul would, wherever he went, he never wanted to charge uh, anything when he was planting the church. 
And he would allow the churches, once he went to the next place and planted, if they wanted to support him as a missionary, they were able to support him as a missionary. But while he was there with them, he would not take any money from them whatsoever. And if there weren't enough funds that showed up, then Paul would go and make tents. He would just go get a secular job and, and he would work that. And, uh, and so Paul went back and forth. But, you know, and he did this because he didn't want anybody to think that he was in the ministry for money. He wanted to keep his hands completely and clean, above reproach. And so, and so they were saying, look it, Paul's not really an apostle. He doesn't even, he's not even paid like everybody. All the other apostles, they, you know, they make a nice salary. Paul doesn't make a nice salary. You know why? He's not really an apostle. And, and so Paul here, you know, is going, oh my gosh. You know, first of all, you know, do I, do I have the same standard? Do I have the same privilege, you know, that is given to the others? Or he says, is, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? In other words, the work of the ministry is what their full-time endeavor is toward. And, and so having to work in the world is going to keep you from focusing and really concentrating on the work of the ministry. And so, verse 7, he says, whoever goes to war at his own expense... Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? And, and so Paul here gives three illustrations now to show that paying workers is, uh, is customary. Soldiers, they, they, they don't go out and fight all day and then at night come home and put on civilian clothes and, and go have a job and then come back the next day and, you know, and, and go back and, and pay. They don't serve at their own expense. They're provided food. They're provided clothing, arms, lodging, whatever else is needed to, uh, to live and to fight and to serve uh, effectively. And, and farmers, in the same vein, we see that they don't plant a, a vineyard or cultivate the crop for some without being paid, without the land itself now supplying uh, for them. And, and shepherds, they don't work for free uh, either. They expect at the very least the, the milk of the flock in payments. And, uh, and so here we see that, you know, uh, that Paul now, you know, declaring the, the, these aspects and, and, and setting them forwards. In, in verse 8, after setting the principle forwards, uh, he says, Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? So Paul first goes to just the illustrations, the common illustrations of, uh, of their day. But what about the word of God? What does the word of God have to say you know, uh, on this matter? And so um, Paul in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. And is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? And, uh, and so here again, you'll remember that they used to use the oxen to be able to take and to grind the grain. And so the, the oxen would be hitched and, and they would 
then take the millstone and and they would harness the ox to the millstone and the millstone would go around and he would grind that grain but the the oxen wasn't starved the oxen expending all of that energy they would feed the grain to the oxen the sum of the grain to be able to keep the oxen strong and so you know here we see that Paul is citing the, uh, the scripture and now he's expositing it. He's explaining it. When God gave that verse, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, the question that Paul has is, was God talking about oxen or was he talking about a spiritual principle? And so Paul is declaring it's a spiritual principle. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. And if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of their right over you, are we not even more? And so uh, here we see that once again, what you know, and Paul is talking about uh, here is, is the spiritual fruit that comes forth from spiritual investment, the plowing, the sowing, the watering, and, and the way that we grow spiritually. And so those that are involved in dedicating themselves to the spiritual growth do they need to go and get a job or will that investment in work, will that allow for them to be, have their needs met? And, uh, and so, you know, Paul is now saying here that, you know, we share spiritual blessings and material blessings and, and those are flow back and forth. He says, nevertheless, we have not used this right but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And so Paul was doing what he was doing because he was commissioned by the Lord. He did it because God had called him, and it was what he was supposed to do. He didn't do it because it was a, a great career choice for him. In fact, you see the way that Paul suffered, you, you see that it was actually a very poor career choice because who wants to go into a career when you, you know, you're thinking about picking a career where you're going to be hated, stoned, be thrown into prison, and then ultimately killed? <laughs> like, that does not sound like the career path, you know, that, uh, that I want to take. And, uh, and so Paul was called uh, into that. He wasn't, didn't elect. Uh, himself uh, there and he wasn't doing it for uh, material possessions and, uh, and the way in which Paul had dedicated uh, himself and, uh, and so he says you know we have this right to be compensated he says but we're not using that right and we're not using that right because we don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ and you know, and, and it was in this same exact way that, that, that here at our church, Calvary Chapel, Green Valley, the Lord had put on my heart when I first started the church, when I first planted the, uh, the church here, that, that I never wanted anybody 
somebody to come to church, you know, an excuse that I would hear every now and then is that, you know, oh, churches just want your money, you know. And I thought, boy, is that ever the absolute opposite? God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need anybody's money whatsoever. And, uh, and so, you know, the, there was that excuse that I felt, you know, hindered the gospel for some people. And, uh, and so we made a determination before our, even our very first the service that we ever had that we would never take a collection. We would never ask people for uh, money because we didn't want it to hinder anybody. We didn't want them to come and, you know, and feast on the word of God and, and, and then ask them for anything. We wanted them to be loved on, blessed, and worship, and, and experience the love of God. We want to be able to feed you physically and, and, and offer refreshments and, and, all, and experience the hospitality of, of God and, and ask for nothing in return. And, and that way there, you know, the, the love of God, the message of the love of God will be able to travel unhindered and unhindered unfettered and uh, and so here Paul in the same way was saying you know that that when I'm planting a church says you know I'm not even I'm supported by others and, and this way here you can just listen to the word of God just respond and just grow in, in your relationship uh, with the Lord and so you know he says that we 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 endure all these things we have the right to it you know, is it wrong to take a collection? No, it's not wrong to take a collection. And, and, and so we don't judge that. But it was just for us, we decided not to do that uh, here uh, at this church. And so he says in verse 13, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Now, here we see that, you know, in the Mosaic law, the, the priests that served, that they would receive a portion of the offering. And so he is saying that there is nothing wrong, that this is, you know, that, that God provides for the priesthood and for those who serve him. And, and we see even from the law itself and, and he says in verse 14, now, the issue is this, that, that in churches we don't have altars, you know, per se. There's not sacrifices that are being offered up and then, you know, those parts of the, uh, of the offering are not being handed to, you know, the, the, the servants that are there in the church. But hey, he says, here he sets the principle in verse 13 and then in verse 14, he says, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live uh, from the gospel. And so Paul here, remember that he is bypassing that privilege there in the church in verse 15. He says, but I have used none of these things. The other apostles are being supported. And he says, and it's not wrong that they're supported. They have a right to that. They have a biblical right to it. He says, and, and I have a biblical right to it, but I'm not exercising my biblical right because I just want the gospel to go forth. Remember, now, what are they accusing him? They're saying that Paul doesn't take a salary because he's not even really an apostle. That's why he doesn't take a salary and, and all. And he says, you know, I've not used these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For 
If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. And so, you know, Paul here again, speaking about, you know, the preaching of the gospel. He says that, that, that I don't preach the gospel in order to receive a payment. He says, I preach a gospel because the, the Lord Jesus Christ put the gospel in my heart and, and I have to tell people about, about Jesus. I, Paul's concern with every single person was what happens after you breathe your last breath. Do you know the Savior of the world? Are your sins washed away? Are you going to spend eternity with God? And that, that is the message that was inside of Paul. And when Paul would meet you and when Paul would talk to you, that would be the first thing that, that he would want to talk to you about. A lot of times when we meet people today, you know, one of the first things that we ask them is, so what do you do for a living? What, what is your job? That's just one of the ways that we get to know each other. And, you know, one of the, one of the oftentimes, an early question that, uh, that, that, that we talk to each other. Paul wasn't interested in what you did for a living. Paul was interested in your relationship with God. Do you know? this new covenant that has been established, that, that the Savior, the promised Messiah of the world. Now, you know, when Paul talks about the Messiah, when a Jew talks about the Messiah, they get excited. You know, their hope, the nation's hope even today in Israel is the Messiah. They are waiting for the Messiah. Messiah is going to sort that out when he comes. This mess and that mess and uh, all of the messes. Once Messiah comes, that you know he, he is going to straighten out all these things. And, and so the nation of Israel is waiting for the Messiah. And Paul had been a part of that waiting for the Messiah. Uh, until suddenly the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And remember, he didn't discover it. He didn't put it together. He was persecuting the Jews, and he was on the road to Damascus, and, and Jesus uh, interrupts him, arrests him, knocks him you know, down. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, who are you, Lord? And Jesus reveals himself, you know, that he is the Messiah. And, and from that minute forwards, Paul then wanted to let every single Jew know that the Messiah has come and that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, I once was blind like you are, but now I see. And Paul, his intellect was incredible. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, they memorized enormous, enormous amounts of Scripture. And, and so, well, once that Scripture, you know, the Holy Spirit hit that Scripture, kapow, the, the, the knowledge now that Paul had, but now illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that now transformed and changed the, you know, the, the direction of Paul's life. So, you know, it wasn't as if Paul, you know, sought each day, I, I, I have to go talk to somebody about Jesus. It wasn't about works. It was as natural as breathing. Paul wanted to genuinely know. And so, you know, he says, woe to me if I, if I try and not talk about it. 
is like, you know, how can I talk about the weather? Or, you know, what did you do last night? Or, you know, what you're wearing? When the only thing that I'm concerned about is, is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, that we have access to the Father through Christ in a way that mankind has never been able to experience the intimacy, the communion, and, and the fellowship with the Father. And you have access to that today. And I have access to that today. And Paul wants to know, have you ever engaged? And if you have engaged, are you growing in, in your engagement? So if you're not saved, he wants you to engage. He wants you to enter into that relationship. And if you're already in that relationship, how are you doing? Uh, how's your walk going? How's your relationship with the, with the Lord doing? Because the Lord's desire is that you would continue to grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the, into the things of the Lord. And so where are you at? How are you doing in your relationship? And that's what Paul wanted to talk about. And he says that, that woe to me if I don't. I mean, you know, it's not that I have to. It's that I, I can't not, he says, you know. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I, I have a reward. But if it is against my will, I've been entrusted with the stewardship. And so Paul saw the gospel that the Lord revealed to him as, you know, is that he had been given this revelation and now he wanted to go and make sure that everybody else understood that and so that that revelation was given. What is my reward then, verse 18? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse uh, my authority uh, in the gospel. And so uh, here again, Paul didn't want to be, you know, seen as, as someone who was just interested in, uh, in the material rewards. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are uh, under the law. And so, you know, Paul here is talking about the way that he would build bridges with people. He, he would build relationships with people so that he could pass truth into them. Without a relationship, you're not able to, uh, to pass very much truth. You know, you're able to have one conversation, but, you know, if you make that person mad, you know, and, and all, and then they don't want to talk to you again. And so there, there is no avenue to be able to continue to let your light shine before people and, you know, in that graciousness and, and the gentleness and the love of God. And, and so Paul says, you know, to, to the Jew, uh, he says, I, I talked to them as, as Jews. I understood who they were and I share commonality with them. And I was able to, to speak to those who are uh, under the law. He says that I might win those who are under the uh, the law. I'm not insulting or belittling or judging or putting down. He says, you know, to those who are without law, he says, as without law. So 
not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those uh, who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means uh, save some. And now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So, you know, he, here is the issue when Paul was around and they were eating kosher, Paul would eat kosher. You know, when he's with the Gentiles and they're eating cheeseburgers, Paul would eat a cheeseburger with them. You know, he, he wouldn't let whatever, you know, whatever way in which you were constrained in your life, hey, I'll meet you right there. I can fellowship with you and, and build a relationship with you. So Paul is constantly seeking commonality with people in order to then be able to engage them in spiritual conversations. And, and what was all of this? What was the purpose of all of this? The purpose was all of this was their spiritual well-being. Paul cared about their soul. Paul cared about how healthy they were spiritually and how they were doing, whether they're unsaved and they need salvation, then he's going to preach to them. And if they're saved, then he's going to teach them and he's going to, uh, to build them up. He says, now this I do for the gospel's sake, verse 23, that I may be partaker of it uh, with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And so you hear once again talking about the, the, the purposefulness of pursuing Christ. What is your focal point in your life? What are you pursuing? And, uh, and so Paul says, you know, that, uh, that we're all running this race, but one receives the prize. Run it in such a way that you might win uh, that race, that you might obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, you know, really an athletic illustration that Paul is giving. And they would have the, you know, the Isthmus Games, kind of uh, uh, much like the Olympics, and the athletes would train for them and compete and, and all. And, you know, and so when an athlete is in training, Look at, look at what they do when they are in training. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Rocky. <laughs> you know, but you know, Rocky's going to go fight this fight. And he's going to get into shape, you know. And, and there's that scene where, you know, he's cracking raw eggs and drinking them and running out first thing in the morning and doing his run through the streets of Philadelphia while, you know, the city is just waking up. And, you know, just that, that discipline to, to work out, to eat right, to, to prepare your body for, uh, for a competition, to, to be able to then win, to be victorious. And, you know, they, they don't eat sweets and they, they don't have ice cream and, and all of the different things that they are temperate in all things. Why? Because they're in training. I mean, I'm in training right now. And there is that element of, uh, uh, of discipline that is in their life because why? Because they have a prize that is in mind. And they would rather forego these pleasures here and gain the prize than, than enjoy these pleasures and, and not win the prize. 
Paul is saying in our, in our lives, that pursuit of, uh, of Christ, you know, uh, are, are, are we now pursuing Christ even with, to the same degree that athletes, uh, you know, are pursuing their titles or their championships or their wreaths or their trophies or their glory? They're, they're doing it for glory. He says, but, and look at how they, look at how hard they train. I mean, they're serious about their, about their training. And so everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, for an imperishable crown, a crown that, that will never fade and so each and every one of us, you know, we, we serve the Lord as a Christian. Once you're a believer, you serve the Lord and you'll receive a crown. And then all of us give that crown to the Lord to glorify him. He says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. And thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, uh, that I myself uh, should not become disqualified. In other words, Paul is saying, I walk the walk. Look at, look at my walk. Look at the things that I am doing. I'm doing the things that I do. I do it unto the Lord and, and to be able to, to preach the gospel. As we close our study, it, it was really there in verse 26 that I wanted to just draw our attention for a minute when he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, I, uh, I, I fight, not as one who beats the air. He says, I, I run not with uncertainty, not with uncertainty. And, and that was really, you know, what, what just captured me is the way in which Paul absolutely knew that when he breathed his last breath, that he was going to be in the presence of, uh, of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and, and Paul completely uh, understood that. And he didn't live with uncertainty of what happens after I breathe my, my last breath. But he lived with an absolute and total certainty. And what is that certainty? What is the message of the cross? What, what is it, the gospel that Paul preached? And, and Paul preached the simple truth about uh, us spending eternity with God. See, God created each and every one of us. God's desire is that every single one of us would enter into his presence for all eternity. That, that is God's will. God wills that none should perish, and that all should uh, enter into uh, heaven, enter into his presence. But God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous. And when God created us, he gave us free will because free will is a necessary component of love. And so and God wants to have a loving relationship with us but he's not going to force himself uh, on us. God's not going to make you spend eternity with him. You have to choose it. You have to want to spend eternity with Christ, with the Lord, with God. And so the free will that God gave to us, God also knew that we would use that free will to sin. But God had a plan for sin. Sin cannot come into heaven.
Sin cannot stand in the presence of, uh, of God's holiness and of his righteousness. And, and so when our souls were stained with sin, then we can't come into the presence of God. We can't bring our sin with us into heaven. But there's no way that we can remove the sin from ourselves and, and there's nothing that we can do to undo the sin. God is the one that undoes your sin. God is the one that sent his son to wash away your sin so that your soul now is pure. It is clean before God. You are forgiven and you are washed. And so your sin is separated from you. Where did that go? It was paid for at the cross. Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself to go and to pay for that so that you might stand before the Father without sin upon you. And that is the message that Paul lived to tell every single person. What happens after you die? What do you believe? And why do you believe that? And there are so many different opinions about what happens after, you know, after you die. But, but the question that Paul would want to know is, how do you know that? You're reincarnated and you come back first as a grasshopper and then as a bunny and then you, you, know, you keep coming back. How do you know that? How, how do you know that? And, and, and so, you know, what's your source on that? Who has ever died, gone into the grave, said he was going to go into the grave, said that he's going to conquer the grave, went into the grave and then came back out again exactly like he said uh, that he would. If you won't trust the person <laughs> that defeated death and defeated the grave, then, the, then what is your source for, uh, for what you do believe? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, uh, the power. Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to pick my life back up again. No one takes my life from me. I came to lay it down. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the, uh, of the world. I came from my Father. I'm going to my Father. And, uh, and no one, no one enters into the presence of my Father except through me, except I wash your soul. And so you have it from the very person who conquered the grave that said there is no other way there is only one way and i am here to wash away your sins and and when you stand in the presence of my father you'll be welcomed you'll be welcomed and you can either believe that or you can believe anything else that you want but everything else is just speculation that's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. And so the, the question is, what do you believe? What do you believe about what is going to happen when, when you take your, your last breath? And no one likes to think about their last breath, but it, it, it's an important issue only for the reason that we don't know when it's going to be. Have you taken that step? If Paul was here today, that's the only thing he would want to talk to you about. He'd want to divide everybody up. Everybody that's never accepted Jesus over here. <laughs> everybody that's accepted Jesus over there. I want to talk to you first. <laughs> I want you to know how much God loves you and how much he desires to spend eternity, but he's not going to force you. You have to choose him. You have to come 
and admit that you've sinned and you have to ask for your sins to be removed and you have to ask for Jesus who is the Lord of the world to be your Lord and your Savior. And so this morning I couldn't possibly, in light of our scriptures here this morning, end the service without giving anybody that opportunity to to understand and to receive that gift of eternal life, not just a, a, an eternal relationship, but, but then God places his Holy Spirit inside of you and you become a child of God forever, for all eternity. And you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, and that is the gift, the down payment. And, and then that's just the beginning. The Holy Spirit begins his work in your life and your life will never be the same. It'll be the greatest decision that you ever made in your entire life. And so we're going to worship through. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I, I, I want to invite you. I want to implore you. I want to beseech you that today would be the day that you would invite Jesus Christ into your heart. I'm going to ask you to just come down to the front if you want to do that. And anybody that's down here in the front, I'm going to lead you in that simple prayer. And, and today would be the day that you would have entered into the kingdom of God and become a child of God. And so let's go ahead and worship. And if you want to receive the Lord, you just come to the front now while we worship. Father, how can we begin to thank you for the internal life that you have given so freely in your son, Jesus Christ? And Jesus, how can we thank you for your willingness to come and to endure the cross and to suffer that we might be reconciled, that our sin that separates us is taken and removed and we can now enjoy that intimacy, that fellowship and the communion. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for your great love that you have for us. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.